today I want to continue what we started last week and talking about prayer. And you know, praying moms are powerful moms. And so if we can help you today, mom, along with dads and everyone else here today, to develop a more powerful prayer life, I think it's a great gift to receive on Mother's Day. We're talking about plugging into the power of prayer. We know that there's power in prayer. Jesus said in Mark 11, verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now I could stand here for a long time and share with you many passages of scripture that talk about the promise of prayer and and how God answers prayer, how he hears prayer. Now, last week, we talked about how we're sometimes unplugged from the power of prayer. And we we don't experience this power. We don't experience this God answering our prayers, and we wonder why. And last week, we looked at some reasons why we might be unplugged. They included that I don't pray. I mean, that should be obvious, but but sometimes it's the case. We just don't have a prayer life. And uh, we may say a quick prayer grace before we eat our food. We may say a quick prayer before we lie down at night, but prayer is not a vital part of our life. It's not an active part of our life. Talked about unconfessed sin. If we have unconfessed sin, then we need to confess that sin so God will hear our prayers. Talked about an unforgiving spirit, you know, for holding grudges and bitterness that, that can impede our relationship with God, which can impede our prayer life. Talked about praying with the wrong motives, Talked about lacking faith and and not having persistence in our prayer. Just kind of throwing up a prayer and saying, oh, well, I'll try it and see if it works. Well, the Lord wants us to be persistent in our prayer life. Sometimes we're short-sighted and we're praying for things that might benefit us but might be harmful to others or might not be in God's plan. And sometimes we just don't belong. We don't see in Scripture anywhere where God obligates himself to answer the prayers of unbelievers. He does to the family of God, but not to unbelievers. Now, today, I want to go on and talk about how we can get plugged in to this enormous power of prayer that Jesus promises us is there. How can we make our prayer lives more dynamic? How can we make our prayer lives more impactful, more effective? Well, I'm going to give you several ways today, and I hope that they'll be helpful in developing a stronger prayer life. The first is to really pray. Again, we've got to really pray. Again, it's important to say grace, and that can serve so many purposes uh, with our children, giving them example as we pray before our meals, our coworkers, other people who see us. It can be a testimony. And at night, you know, that quick little prayer. But one to really encourage us to develop a vibrant, regular, active prayer life. Because so much power comes with it. Think about this, that Jesus, when he was here during his three years of public ministry, we see periodically where Jesus draws away from his disciples and all the crowds that were following, and he gets one-on-one with his father and prays. Now, if Jesus saw value in daily prayer, we certainly should see it. If Jesus needed to engage in prayer with the Father, how much more do we need to engage in prayer with the Father? So one thing is to say, you know what? This is an area of my spiritual life that I can improve on. I can grow. I can become more effective and more impactful through my prayer life. Now, we do that 
when we first pray with preparation. Don't just fall down and start going off. Pray with preparation. And one of the things that helps us to believe, because remember Jesus said, whatever things you ask, believe that you've received it, and you'll receive it. Well, we first remind ourselves of who we're praying to. In the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, the king of Judah is just getting some really bad news in chapter 20. Some messengers come to to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and say to him, a vast army of the Amorites and the Moabites and and the the, the Muthnites are coming up against you. They had this huge army king, and they're marching against you to conquer you. So Jehoshaphat calls all the people of Judah to prayer. And here's what he does in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, now he's going to pray, here's his prayer. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. See, he doesn't immediately go, oh, God, what are we going to do, God? All these armies are coming against us, see? Because that kind of prayer leads us to praying without faith, without power, without belief. So he says he's praying as king in front of all the people, too. So it's not just for him, but it's to rally the people of God. And he says, are you not the God who is in heaven You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. What's the the challenge right now? There's several nations and their armies coming to conquer Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. And he reminds himself and he reminds all the people in his prayer who he's praying to. He's praying to God. Who's more powerful, God or the king of the Ammonites, the king of the Moabites, the king of the Muthites? Who's more powerful? God. He says, aren't you that God? You rule over the kingdoms of heaven. Power and might are in whose hands? Your hands. And no one can withstand you. In other words, he's saying, God, I'm coming to you believing not what I'm seeing, not what I'm hearing, but I'm believing in who you are. That you control the nations, that you control history, that you control our fate. See, when we approach God in preparation that way, we are emboldened that we're not just throwing up some wish, some hope, but we're praying to the God who hears prayer. We're praying to the God who has the power to answer prayer. And in that, we remind ourselves when we pray with preparation what he has already done. Jehoshaphat continues in his prayer in in 2 Chronicles Chapter 20, verse 7, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He said, God, the reason we're here in the first place and we have this kingdom of Judah is because you brought us here. You told Abraham, your friend, that you were going to create a nation of his descendants and that you were going to give him a land that you would show him. And this is the land that you gave us. 
And so he's reminding himself of what God has already done. How many of you have had answered prayer by God before? God has answered a prayer in your life. Okay, see, we need to, when we go in prayer, particularly when we're going to petition God for something, we need to go and remind ourselves who we're praying to. That we're not praying to some imaginary force out there. We're not trying to rely rely on something that's non-existence. We're praying to God who is in heaven, who is in charge, who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, who is omnipresent. And it's good for us, and it's good as we're praying corporately with our families, our children, that to remind ourselves of what God has already done. Because since we know that God has answered previous prayers, why would we think he's not going to answer the prayer we're lifting up now? We're not ready to plug into the power of prayer until we've reminded ourselves who we are praying to and what he has already done, how he has already answered our prayers. Again, that gives us confidence. It emboldens us. So we need to pray with preparation. Then we need to pray with purity. Really important. We need to pray with purity of life. We looked at this verse last week in Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 2. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. In other words, we were reminded last week that when our relationship breaks down, when it seems like our prayer life has broken down, it's not impactful, it's not powerful, it's not on God's end. It's not that God can't answer that prayer because it's beyond his ability. His arm is not too short. He's not too weak to answer the prayer. And it's not that he doesn't hear the prayer. It's not that he's deaf. He's hard of hearing. He couldn't hear. The issue is our iniquities have separated us from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In other words, he cannot justifiably answer our prayer because we are harboring known unconfessed sin. And unconfessed sin alienates us in our relationship with God. Remember we talked about last week, even as Jesus himself hung on the cross, when Jesus became sin for humanity, God had to turn his back on him because God can't have fellowship with sin. God is holy. God is pure. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And see, when we are not praying with purity of life, it's a hindrance to God answering our prayer because God cannot justly do that. And so when we go to pray, we should have a time of confession. We should confess our sins to the Lord so that we are purified from them. We should also pray with purity of heart. James 4.3, we looked at last week also. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Now look what he goes on to say. That you may spend what you get on your what? On your pleasures. Most of the time when we pray, or maybe most of the time might be an exaggeration, but frequently, often when we pray, we're praying that God will give us something. Pray that God will answer our prayer. And oftentimes we have the wrong motive in that. Because what we're really seeking is our comfort. What we're really seeking is our pleasure. And it's not wrong to seek pleasure. It's not wrong to seek comfort unless we are trying to manipulate God with that 
unless we're praying with the wrong motive, selfishness in our heart. For example, oftentimes we pray for comfort. Oh, God, comfort me in this time, which isn't bad. But we forget that 1 Corinthians tells us that God comforts us so that we can comfort others who are suffering with the comfort God has given us. See, oftentimes we want to be relieved from any kind of stress, any kind of discomfort, but we forget when we're praying that God uses suffering so that he can comfort us, so that we can, in turn, be a comfort to other people who are experiencing the same thing that we experience. Maybe not at the time we're experiencing, but later on. How much more effective is it when we speak to people and say, I'm not just empathetic on what you're going with. I know what you're going through because I went through that. And here's how God comforted me. And here is how God can comfort you. See how powerful that is? So sometimes we're praying manipulatively, and God certainly is not going to answer that. But sometimes we're just praying with the wrong motives because we don't understand what God is doing in our life. Again, we're praying short-sightedly. So we need to pray with purity. It's so important. We need to pray with precision. Prayer is not designed to be some kind of a carpet bombing experience. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that military term, carpet bombing is what the military used to do. We don't do it so much anymore because of technology. But like in Vietnam, in World War II, we would go and carpet bomb cities. And that would mean we would just send over as many bombers as we could that were loaded with as many bombs as they could possibly carry. They would get somewhere over the target, and they would open their bomb doors, and they'd just let all these bombs randomly fall on the city. That was carpet bombing. They thought if we deliver enough bombs, they'll take care of the situation, and one of them have got to hit the target that we want it to hit. Now, today, technology, we're more laser-guided. They can leave a rocket right inside the front door of a house. But prayer is not supposed to be a carpet-bombing kind of experience, just out there, a general thing. It's supposed to be a laser-guided spiritual weapon, like our technology is now. So we need to pray with precision. We need to be specific in our prayers. Not just random, not carpet bomb. Oh God, I know you're out there and oh God, help me. Okay, how do you want him to help you? See, it lets, know, it lets God know what we really desire. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story of a blind man named Bartimaeus. And he sees Jesus coming. He knows Jesus' reputation for healing. And so he's coming. And all of a sudden, he just cries out to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. And Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? See, he's crying for mercy. Well, mercy can come in a lot of packages. Mercy can cover a lot of ground. That's kind of a carpet bomb prayer, isn't it? Have mercy on me. All right. In what area of your life do you want me to have mercy on? 
And it wasn't until Bartimaeus said, I'm blind, restore sight, give me sight. And when he finally got specific and he told Jesus exactly what he wanted, Jesus restored his sight. He gave him his sight. And there's other instances in the Bible where people come to Jesus and they say, have mercy, be kind to me. And Jesus stops and says, what do you want me to do? See, sometimes that's how our prayer life is. We don't really tell God what we want. We just kind of throw stuff out. Oh, have mercy on me. I'm hurting, God. Don't you see I'm hurting? Oh, God, I'm in, I'm in Oh, God, there's chaos in my life. Well, Jesus says, what do you want me to do? See, it lets him know what specifically we are asking him to do. Now, it also helps us actually think about what we desire. Remember, we just talked about praying with the wrong, emo- or wrong motives. And when we pray specifically, the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to speak with us during our prayer life and say, really, is that really what you're asking for? Is that really in your best interest? Is that really in the best interest of other people? See, and it gives us pause because we're just not throwing some carpet bomber out there. Now we're praying specifically for something and it gives the Holy Spirit room to speak back to us and say, now wait a minute. What are you doing here? Are you trying to manipulate God with this prayer? Are are you thinking about how this is going to impact others if God answers this prayer? Have you thought about the fact that, that, that maybe this isn't the best thing for you? Remember we talked about last, last week, we talked about just throwing something out there and praying, oh, God, give me this job. This is the best job. This is the job I've always wanted. When God knows it would be the worst experience of your life to get that job. And so when we pray specifically with pre- precision, it allows the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work with us and talk with us. And it also, when we pray with precision, it provides us evidence of answered prayer. We're throwing out these general prayers. Oh, have mercy on me. Well, how do we know when he's had mercy on us? If our prayer is so general and so broad. But when we pray with precision, when we pray specifically, then we receive an answer. We say, God answered my prayer. When we pray generally, God doesn't know how to act, and he, he still may act in our life, but we might not recognize that he's answered our prayer because we've not asked specifically. So for all these reasons, we need to pray with precision, not just carpet bomb our prayers out there. And some of us might be thinking, right, yeah, you know, that's what I do. That's exactly what I do. I, I just ask for God's mercy, I ask for his deliverance, I ask for this, but I never go beyond and say, here's what I'm thinking, God. And then see what the Holy Spirit does with that. Then we need to pray with presumption. We need to pray with the presumption that God is actually hearing our prayer. Because sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're using prayer like we use a fire extinguisher, only in case of emergency, you know. And we're just kind of throwing it out there, hoping that that it's going to have some impact, hoping that God's going to hear it, hoping that God's going to... Well, if we pray that way, it's anemic prayer. It's not prayer that motivates God to action. We looked at James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 last week. It says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. 
Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. See, well, we're just kind of bobbing out there. and We're just kind of throwing the stuff up. And we're just hoping. We are not presuming that God is answering our prayer. We're not expecting that God is answering our prayer. Well, you know, Scripture says we shouldn't feel like we're going to get anything with that kind of prayer because it's a faithless prayer. It's a powerless prayer. God wants us to pray believing. That's what that Jesus said in Mark 11. He said, whatever you ask, he said, believe that you have received it. And you'll receive it. Pray with presumption. Not just generally, but get on knees and say, God, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I've confessed any sin in my life. I'm searching my heart to make sure that I'm praying with the right motives and and what I'm praying for isn't harmful to someone else. And God, I'm praying, believing that you are right now hearing my prayer and that, God, you are answering my prayer in your perfect way and that you will reveal it in your perfect time. See, we honor God by praying with that kind of faith, with praying with that kind of presumption. Then we need to pray with power. Pray with power. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Kind of carries the idea of these carpet bomb prayers, right? get down here, we're just praying and we're rambling and we're going on and on and on and on and on. See, because we think if we pray long enough or if we pray eloquently enough that it's going to move God more than just a simple prayer of faith and presumption and purity. See, you know, the volume of your words, Jesus is saying here, it doesn't move God. The eloquence of how you put your sentences together in your prayer is not what moves God. What moves God is the other things we've talked about. What moves God is our purity. What moves God is our presumption, our precision. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. See, it goes back to to still the idea of presumption, but with a little bit more strength, a little bit more more emphasis to it. Because now we're going before the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God doesn't want us coming before him. Oh, God. Oh, woe is me. Oh. Oh, God, I don't know if you can do this, God. I don't know if you'll hear my prayer. Oh, God, I know I haven't been good. I don't know, God, I know I shouldn't. I don't, even, I don't even know why I'm praying to you, God. Why should I expect? Oh, my goodness. If you came to me as your pastor and talked to me that way, I'd say, go away. See, we need to pray with power and confidence. He wants us to come boldly before the throne. 
See, that's the access we have now since Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And the Jewish system in the Old Testament, they had to go to priests, and the priests had to offer sacrifices on their behalf. Now, we can go directly to God, and he wants us to go directly to him, but he wants us to come with confidence. I remember the story, one of my favorite stories as a child, was Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Israel had a very evil king who was reigning the same time Jehoshaphat was reigning. His name was Ahab. And Ahab had an even more evil queen wife, Jezebel. And they brought all the pagan religions into Israel. And they were worshiping pagan gods. And so God sent Elijah, a prophet, to pronounce judgment upon them. And they hated Elijah. They wanted to kill Elijah. So Elijah, one day, sets up a contest. And he says, all right, let's see whose God is God. And so he said, all you prophets of Ahab and Jezebel, you set up an altar, and I'll set up an altar, and we'll pray to heaven for God to light the fire of the altar that he accepts. I love this story. It's a comedic story. You, you ought to read it sometime. Because all day long, these prophets of Baal are dancing, they're crying, they're cutting themselves to show their, their sincerity, they're weeping, they're wailing for Baal to ignite this sacrifice. All day long. And Elijah taunts them all day long. He says, maybe you need to chant a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's, it's a hilarious story. All right, so finally, the whole day goes by. Elijah's given them the entire day for Baal to answer their prayer. And now it's Elijah's turn. Now, Elijah's on the spot. I mean, he's got his head on the chopping block. Not figuratively, literally. They want to kill him. Now, he's going to pray to God. Don't you think that this is an important prayer? Now, he doesn't go to God and say, oh, God, oh, man. Look at how his prayer goes. 1 Kings 18, 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. He's not weeping, he's not wailing, he's doing what we talked about. See, he's praying precisely. He's praying with the proper motive, not that, that he will be vindicated, but that the people will know who God really is. And he's not wishy-washy around it. He is coming in power. He is coming in strength. And it says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. I love this response of God. I mean, there was no doubt that God had operated. Because remember, Elijah had him bring 
picture after picture, bucket after bucket of water and pour water on his sacrifice so it was drenched. But when he prayed with power, God answered with power. Get that now. When he prayed with power, God answered with power. And God sent fire from heaven that wiped everything out, melted the rock, licked up all the water, burnt the sacrifice, left a hole in the ground smoking. And look what happened. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, when we pray with power, God responds with power, not only for us, but for those in our life, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, when we pray with power, we teach our children who God is. We teach our grandchildren that, that we're not worshiping some mythical creature in the heavens. We are worshiping an omnipotent, powerful God. See? Yeah, give him a hand. Give God a hand. Plug into the power of prayer. Really pray. Pray with preparation, pray with purity, pray with precision, pray with assumption, pray with power. Now, some of you were just challenging to do that, and you really don't have that going on in your life. And so you're going, yeah, okay, Pastor Pete, you've convinced me. Now, what do I do? How do I do this? Stella and I were having coffee with uh, Pastor Barnabas and his wife Tiffany a couple weeks ago at a Starbucks, and we were just chatting, and and during our conversation, Tiffany shared with me that years ago, when she was a teenager in our youth department under uh, John Stevens, who was our youth pastor at the time, that I had shared with the church an acrostic for prayer, a template for praying. And she said it was revolutionary in her life, in her prayer life. It really helped her develop a powerful prayer life. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to speak on prayer. I'm going to share that with you. Maybe, maybe, maybe God will use it in your life the way he used it in Tiffany's life. And it's an acrostic that uses the word acts. And it's a template now that you can use that will walk you through everything we just talked about in a very simple form. So when we pray, we begin adoring God, praying with adoration, praying, re reminding ourselves who God is, reminding ourselves of what God has already done, thanking God for that, recognizing God, honoring God with adoration. Then we move into confession, because remember, we need to pray with purity. And Scripture tells us that the arm of God's not too short, his ear's not too dull, it's our iniquities that get in the way. So we start off our prayer by adoring God and recognizing who he is and putting him above our problems and putting him above people who are, who are interfering in our life and causing us distress and then we confess and say, God, I, I, I want to pray purely to you. I want to pray with purity of life. I'm confessing my sins right now. And God, I'm, I'm looking to confess if I'm praying with the wrong motives. Holy Spirit, talk to me now. Speak to me. I'm listening. And when we pray, we not only speak, we should spend time to listen for God's response. Then we pray with thanksgiving. Say, we thank God for all the things he's already done so that we're not just going trying to get him to jump through yet another hoop that we need him to jump through to us. We're thanking him of all the times he has answered our prayers, all the times he has delivered us in the past.
And once we've prayed with adoration, once we've prayed with confession, once we've prayed with thanksgiving, now we're ready to pray with supplication. Now we're ready to ask God specifically what we're asking him to do. Now we're ready to to pray because we're ready. Now we've gone through the steps that we've talked about to prepare us to enter prayer in a powerful way, in an effective way, in an impactful way. It's a little acrostic that we can use that God has used in my life and that I've used before. And Tiffany has used it with success. And maybe some of you who are saying today, you know, I really want to get a prayer life going in my life. And you say, but I didn't know how about it. Here's how you start. And this is just a start. It's just a template. But it'll help you to pray regularly, and it will help you to pray in such a way that you'll have confidence that God is hearing your prayer and that you'll have presumption and expectation that God is answering your prayer and that prayer can be effective for you because it's not a promise just for pastors. It's a promise for every person here. It's a resource that God has given us. Plug into the power of prayer. Now, we mentioned last week, and I mentioned just in passing today, the idea that God has obligated himself to answer the prayers of his children. Well, who's a child of God and who's not a child of God? I mean, we're all creations of God, aren't we? John 1.12 says this, Yet to as many as received him, him being Jesus, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, how we become a child of God, how we become a member of his family, is by putting our faith in Jesus as our Savior. Have you ever done that? If not, in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. But as we contemplate that thought, our ushers are going to come now. And they're going to receive our morning offering. I thank you for giving. Those of you who are, and I really encourage those of you who aren't, to start getting active and supporting financially the ministry of the, of the Bridge Church so that we can get the gospel in our community and around the world. If you don't have time to, receive, uh, to prepare your offering before the offering plate passes you, we have offering kiosks at every exit. And remember, you can use your phone, text to give. Instructions are in your bulletin. Let's receive the gifts. So you're here today, and you're not sure what's going to happen to you when this life ends. Will you believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, during his earthly ministry, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way than Jesus. That's why Jesus came. If it was just religion and living a good enough life, there were plenty of religious systems on earth before Jesus came. But none of those religious experiences 
could bring eternal forgiveness of our sins. Not even the Jewish one. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be the final atoning sacrifice for sin. And therefore, Scripture says, Acts 2.21, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. And Romans 10.9 says it this way. Paul writes to the Romans, he said, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. See, God wants you to have it. And he's made it simple enough that everyone can receive it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to give lots of money. You don't have to spend hours and hours of service to prove your repentance. Just have faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here today, and you need to trust Christ as your Savior. You can do it right now, right where you're sitting. Say, how do I do it? Well, first confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Pray something like this, God, I get it. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light. There's no way to you except through Jesus. And I believe in my heart everything you've revealed about Jesus. God, that he was your son, that he died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And because Jesus was willing that, that, God, you have given him alone the authority to forgive me of every sin I've ever done. And so, Jesus, right now, I'm believing on your name. I'm asking you to be my Savior, to pay my sin debt with your blood. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Thank you, God, for that promise. We who have prayed that prayer prayed it with presumption. We prayed it with expectation that you would fulfill your promise, and we know you have. Lord, use us now and help us to develop prayer lives that are effectual, that are regular, that glorify you and honor you and bring us into your will, not try to manipulate you to fulfill our will. God, use us as a church, use us individually, use us as moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, co-workers, friends. And we understand the power that is at our hands through prayer. May we glorify you with it always in Jesus' name, amen.